All right, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 4. Hopefully the wind works with us today, and hopefully the wind understands, so that means don't blow. That's uh, When we got here and set up, it was super calm, and then all of a sudden I could see the swings were like invisible children were swinging. I'm like, that's not a good sign, so hopefully we don't blow away today. So today we're in Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 through 20, uh, a short section here. I do, I do want to uh, comment on some of the, uh, the updates. Again, this, uh, it seems like every week there's there's slightly changing news. And, and so I've kind of lost track of when the news came out, but I believe that between last Sunday and today, um, the Supreme Court did rule uh, concerning the state of California and the, the limited capacity within, within churches. And so they said it's, 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 they violated the, the First Amendment and they can't, um, they, you know, they can't, they can't limit capacity. Um, there's there's still probably a couple challenges that are going to happen because some are sort of debating like, well, they can challenge uh, the capacity limits within the building. They're not saying that how many people can meet in the building, but they can limit capacity. All, all of that, I do want to reiterate just what we said last week as we sort of like talk to the congregation and people, the vast majority of people prefer to just be outside. We have this beautiful setting and, and the capacity to do it. Um, and if the weather doesn't allow us to, to meet outside for wind or rain or extreme heat, uh, then we'll just sort of flip-flop like we've done before where we go inside and sort of you know pipe the sound outside for those that want to be outside. Um, and hopefully we're going to make some adjustments just so you all know if you bump in or communicate with people. Uh, the, the, the video that we do, we're going to continue doing that as, as long as we can. There are days when we, when we might not be able to do it going into the future. But today we're running an experiment where we think that we can record the, the, the live audio so that people can have the live audio from Sunday versus uh, me talking to a camera on Friday afternoon. There's, there's a very different dynamic preaching to a camera to an empty room than there are to people. I think God designed preaching to be to people. And so I, I and it's, I'll leave my commentary. I, I, I'm grateful for the camera because it definitely, I think, has enhanced Sunday mornings uh, because I get a walkthrough to a, I, you know, it's funny on Friday to the camera, a lot of jokes just bomb because there's no reaction. And, and, and so I, I can kind of really think through whether I want to go through the same thing on Sunday. So with that, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 4, verses uh, 12 through 20. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for this, uh, this place that we live. We have such beautiful weather uh, with the wind blowing. We can smell the blossoms of the orange trees across the street. We have the beautiful b- backdrop. And in many ways, being outside, it just sort of takes us back to the basics and back to how the gospel first went forth. I think of uh, Jesus and his teaching, mostly outside in beautiful settings. And so we thank you for this time that we can really gather and worship you through singing, through our fellowship with one another, uh, through studying of the word. We pray, Father, that you would continue to lead us as a congregation, give us wisdom. And Father, we pray that as we study the word today, that you would give us insight, that your spirit would lead us, that he would guide us. 
that he would give us uh, points of application from this passage. Uh, And Father, we do love you, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Galatians chapter 4, verse 12. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. So I have become your enemy by telling you the truth. They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought by a commendable, in a commend, commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you. But my children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, but I wish to be present with you now and to change my tone for I am perplexed about you. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We uh, thank you, Lord, for this letter of Galatians and its directness about the gospel and its clarity. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would lead us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. All right, so, so far in Galatians, Paul Paul really has come out of the gates swinging. I mean, he he just goes for it. He, you know, he starts out with, oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? And it's just intense from the very beginning. There uh, is an absence of a personal greeting, a personal sort of note from him, an expression of love. Uh, none, none of that exists in Galatians up to this point. Um, there's lots of doctrine and there's lots of uh, advocacy for for the 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 legal case for justification with God that's by grace and Paul comes out and he makes a case as an attorney pleading his case uh, to a jury that they would respond it's between him and the Judaizers who are who are making the exact opposite case telling them that they cannot be right with God unless they are circumcised and unless they observe the Mosaic law and so Paul is really furious. Uh, Up to this point, it's been just doctrine, defense about Paul's personal background and who he is and the gospel which he presents. And so today we sort of turn the corner and we meet a frustrated and hurt um, pastor who sort of plays his cards to them and lets them know of the wounds that he's endured and the pain that he's going through as they drift away from him and the truth that he has presented to them. Where we are headed today is at the end of verse 19, we see Paul's plea. He said, I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. And so his whole push, he wants Jesus to be matured within them, that they would become the the people and the children that God has created them to be. But in this, Paul has a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and a lot of sorrow. And so he begins in verse 12. 
I beg of you, brothers and sisters, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. And so he sort of starts with this pleading for them to sort of be like him and and to mimic him. And he says, well, I've actually become like you. And so this, this sentence can be a little bit difficult to understand without understanding the backdrop and without understanding Paul. And so I think it's important. I know we've gone through Philippians chapter 3 a, a number of times, but it's important for us to go back there again and let's reintroduce ourselves to Paul and to remind ourselves of who the Apostle Paul is and the transformation that he went to. So if went through, if you have your Bible open, just flip over a couple books to Philippians chapter 3, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And in Galatians chapter or Philippians chapter 3, Paul begins with this. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. And so this message that Paul communicates defending the gospel of grace, that we are justified before God, justified innocent based on the work of Christ, Paul is having to restate this over and over and over again, because the Judaizers followed him everywhere, and they were trying to undo the message of the gospel, which Paul so passionately sowed into their lives. And so he's constantly having to to fight against them and to push back against their message. And he says, it's no trouble for me to to rehash this. And he says in verse 2, beware of the dogs. Think of Tijuana dogs, dogs in third world countries where they're a dirty animal and not a pet that you go and, and, and play with. These are, these are animals that were not your house pet, not, not you know, your little dog that you love and let lick your face or whatever you do with your dogs. This is not the dog he's talking about. He says, beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, it's, it's his uh, eyes. They're doing something. It's okay. But if she didn't catch it, I'm going to repeat it. So, but I was like, oh, that's awesome. You know, it's okay. <laughs> and uh, so here he is. He's making this distinction between himself and the Judaizers. He calls them a very offensive word. He's saying, calling them dogs. He's becoming, he's calling them evil workers. He's calling them the false circumcision. And remember what they're pitching is that they have to be circumcised. They have to observe the Mosaic law in order to be saved, in order to be right with God. And he says, beware of them. And he says, for we And our message is the true circumcision. And so he contrasts the false circumcision from the true circumcision. In Romans, I think it's chapter 2, verse 4, he refers to the true circumcision of of circumcision that's done in the heart. And and that the heart that is transformed through uh, faith in Christ. And he says, those of us who are the true circumcision, we worship in the spirit of God and the glory of Christ. Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He says, we understand that our relationship with God is based on grace. It's not based on our works and the things 
that we do to earn merit with God, they're, they're, they're futile, they're useless. Our relationship is based on the work of Jesus. And then in verse 4, he says, well, if they want to get into sort of an argument over uh, the flesh and what they've accomplished, let's talk about that. And he says, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone has mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. He says, I can trump whatever card they're playing, whatever the Judaizers are saying, whatever they're telling you to do, whatever they're saying that they've accomplished, my pedigree, my background far exceeds anything that they have done. And he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisees. So he says, as I related to the Mosaic law, I was a Pharisee, which is like the top tier culturally amongst the people. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, he was found blameless. And this isn't Paul just saying words. He literally thought up until the day that he met Jesus, that as he lived out his Jewish life, as he observed the Mosaic law, he thought that he had nailed it with a straight face, that before God, he was without blame, without sin. And then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and everything changed. He had a new orientation to what righteousness truly is, not comparing to fellow humans. Verse 7, he says, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I counted all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And Paul actually had wealth. He had prestige. He had authority. He had respect amongst his fellow countrymen. He was a very powerful guy that gave up a whole lot of wealth, a whole lot of prestige, a whole lot of, uh, you know, capital amongst the people of Israel. He gave it all up. I suffered the loss of all things and counted them but rubbish or dung or human excrement is actually what the word is so that I might gain Christ. Everything that he had, every every certificate on his wall, everything that puffed him up amongst the fellow Israelis, he says, this is manure. It's absolute garbage. The only thing I desire now is to know Christ so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I might, may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained or have already become perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And again, he goes on to say, I haven't obtained this yet. And so as we go back to Galatians chapter 4, and we see this in verse 12, I beg of you, brothers and sisters, become as I am. He says, I had everything. 
everything that the Judaizers are, are promoting and pitching to you, I had attained it all. I had done all of it. And I walked away from it because I met Jesus and I understood the claims of the gospel. And I walked away. And he says, for I also have become as you are. And these Galatian believers, as Paul went through and shared the gospel with them, they responded to this idea of being justified before God based on faith uh, on Jesus's work on the cross. And they stood justified solely based on the work of Jesus on the cross. And so he says, I beg of you, brothers, become as I am, for I have become as you are. And if we kind of stopped here out of context, we think, well, everybody's good. Everybody's kosher, pun intended there, that they, that they had done what Paul asked. Paul said, I become like you. Everything's good. But the reality is, is he knows that he's in a tug of war with them over the Judaizers. They have come through. They've made a, a very brilliant case to these individuals. They were being swayed. They were being, uh, they were drifting away from him. And he knew that there was distance between them. Paul says in Galatians 2.20 that we've already read, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is what he wants them to continue to do. It's interesting that as we go through Galatians and the whole letter of Galatians up to this point, there is not one imperative. This is the very first imperative, which is a command to them. He's been giving them doctrine, pleading this case. And now we come to chapter 4, verse 12, and he gives them an instruction. Become as I am. Which is it's interesting to me, and he's going he's to unpack this a little bit. As we continue in the second half of verse 12, which really I think should be the beginning of verse 13. He says, you have done me no wrong. But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And you did not despise that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, nor express contempt. But you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. These verses sort of beg a whole bunch of, of questions. Like, what was the situation when Paul first went to Galatia? What he says here is he wasn't intending to be in Galatia, but something had happened to him medically. He had, a, he had a condition that we believe was really bad. Some speculate it was malaria. Then there's a whole bunch of other guesses that he was in the lowlands and he had contracted malaria down there and that Galatia is sort of in higher elevation and he was trying to get up and get to a healthier location. We don't really know, but the language that's used to describe how he thinks they should have responded to him was sort of the reaction that you would expect from an individual as they approach a dead body. Like he's saying that I smelled terrible. My wounds were, were foul. My look was absolutely disgusting. One of these words, nor express contempt, that means to literally like spit or to vomit out. Like you just can't handle what you're looking at. And so the condition of Paul as he rolled into town was foul. But what does he say? He says, you did me no wrong. 
I had this illness and I preached the gospel to you for the first time. You didn't despise this, this trial to you, not to Paul. He says a trial to you and looking at me, you didn't despise me, nor did you express contempt, but you received me as an angel of God. And it's almost like he's playing the thankful game because behind the, the surface of what he's saying, Paul is in deep, deep pain. The New American Commentary says this, in fact, there is no way to read Galatians honestly without realizing that indeed Paul had been wronged, personally grieved and deeply hurt by the defection of his followers. He was quite out of sorts with them and for good reason. And so he's in agony as he's going over this tug of war of these individuals who are leaving and departing for this false gospel. But he comes and he reflects on them. And I know that I've shared over the years that in our family, Anna makes us play the thankful game where we work through the alphabet and we say things that we're thankful for. And as we say things that we're thankful for, our dispositions change and we give, we're giving God gratitude and it sort of uh, refocuses things so that we can appreciate all that God has done. And even though he's been hurt by these individuals, even though he's pleading with them and praying and longing for Christ to be formed in them and they're departing and they're walking away, it's like he's reflecting on the good times. And he said, I remember when I first walked in and you responded to the gospel and you might be rejecting me now and you might be hearing their case. I remember how you responded. And I think he's trying to encourage himself as he writes this. And he goes on and he says, where... In verse 15, where then is that sense of blessing you have? He said, I remember. I know how you responded. You received me as an angel. You received me as the Lord himself. And, it, and for I testify about you that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. And then there's a whole lot of discussion over what, it, what is this? Is this, is this just a, a saying that they have in that culture? You know, like, uh, often when I do a background on somebody and I'm verifying a, a team guy, like, hey, somebody claims to be a SEAL. Are they really a SEAL? And I, I'll blast out to my guys. And often I'll get a response. If the guys are good guys, like, yeah, man, I'd give that guy a kidney. That's how much I love him. And I don't know if that means that we'd actually give the person a kidney, but it's kind of like a saying. And so maybe the, some speculate that this was a saying, that, that back then instead of giving somebody a kidney, that you could, you'd give them their eyes because blindness was so like rampant in that era. They also think that, uh, blindness could be connected to malaria. And so some speculate that the thorn in Paul's side or the illness that he was dealing with or the illness that brought him there was that something had happened to his vision and was causing him difficulty. Uh, there's potentially a case for this. If we were to skip forward to Galatians chapter six, verse 11, Paul sort of, as he's ending this letter, he says, see what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Paul's customary form would be to dictate to somebody. And at the end, he'd sort of sign his name to sort of authenticate that it, that it came from him. But at the end of Galatians, he says, no, I wrote this on my own. And the letters are really big because I had to see what I was writing and my eyes are so bad. And so some speculate that maybe this offer to give them their, like if there was a way to do an eye transplant, they loved and cared for Paul so much that if they could do it, they would do it. And so he's comparing and contrasting this, this relationship that was so strong early on. Now that the Judaizers had come along or Paul had done something they don't like and they sort of 
meander away. And you say, what, what happened? As I've been studying this, there's a movie that I knew from back in high school. That I quote it with caution. I'm not even going to say the title of the movie. But as I've been studying this week, there's an old movie from my, from my youth. And there was a guy that kind of goes to this location. And this girl was very fond of him. And she's trying to make the moves on him. And he's like, ah, no, I'm not interested. And then by the end of it, she's, she's got him bound and she's going to kill him. And he looks at her and he's like, man, first you want to kiss me, now you want to kill me. And so I've had that, that uh, you guys are responding just like the camera. So for the two of you that maybe know that movie, <laughs> there's like this, there's like this, he's like, you guys loved me so much and now you hate me. Like, and what did he do that caused this divide, caused this, this distance between them? He says in verse 16, so I've become your enemy by telling you the truth. And so here Paul has been pleading with them over the truth and the veracity of the gospel that it is indeed as simple as Jesus was your substitute and he went to the cross for you. And on the cross, the wrath of God was poured out on him and he absorbed it in full and he was your propitiation, which is another legal term, meaning that as God's wrath was placed upon him, God ultimately was satisfied. And the judgment that we deserved was rendered paid in full. And we receive this by faith. And this is the truth that he's defending. The Judaizers are saying, no, no, no. The Messiah came, but you still have to maintain circumcision and the Mosaic law. And because Paul was pushing back, they now have become his enemy because he was truthful with them. And I think this is painful I feel for Paul in this. My heart breaks for him and what he's going through. It's not easy standing on the truth, and especially when people get upset and begin to withdraw themselves, relationships that used to be strong that now are, are distant. It's a painful thing, and I feel his pain in this. Verse 17, he addresses the, the Judaizers again, and he says, they eagerly seek you. Not in a commendable way, but they want to shut you out so that you will seek them. So that they is the Judaizers. And in some of your translations, it might read that the Judaizers are trying to separate Paul from the Galatian believers. That they're trying to create this distance between them so that they can have the capital in their thinking. They can control what they're thinking. They can place what's going on in their minds. And Paul's saying what they're doing, their zeal for you is not commendable. They're trying to separate us. They're trying to place this wedge between us so that they can recruit you and they can bring you in under their fold so that they have authority over you. It's like the words of Jesus that he says in Matthew 23, verse 15, when he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. And so passion and zeal don't always necessarily mean that it's a good thing. If it's not grounded in the truth, if it's not grounded in God's word, and he's saying they've come after you, but it's not commendable. And he's not saying that zeal and passion are bad. He goes on to say, verse 18, but it is, always, uh, it's all, it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable way. In the previous verse, he said they're, uh, 
they're seeking after you, not in a commendable way, but to be sought in a commendable way where the passion is grounded in the word of God and it's grounded in the love of God and truth and, and patience and kindness. And, and that is good. And he says that not only when I am present with you, and it seems that what's happening here is when Paul was present with them, they were great students. They were following. They were taking notes. They were applying these truths to their lives. And then Paul leaves, and the Judaizers come in, and they begin making their case, and they kind of forget about everything that Paul said. And now they become good students, and they're taking notes of the Judaizers, and they're sort of, okay, you make a really good point. And they're being tossed sort of back and forth by, by doctrine, and they're not grounded in the word of God. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14, Paul writes there, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. And so where he's going, the next verse, he, his passion is that Christ would be formed in them. And as Christ is formed in us, we should be able to discern false teaching. We should be able to discern the fad. We live in a world where there's so much information coming at us. A lot of it's even couched in, in Christian thinking. And especially this last year, there's like the conspiracy theorists are running wild. Like God's not on his throne and God's not in control and that God won't take control of, care of you. And, and, and it's so easy to get like whatever, whatever sort of internet website you're looking at or whatever spam email comes your way, you start reading. You're like, oh, this is it. This is the, this is the new Antichrist. And this is all part. We, we need to have discernment. And not to be tossed back and forth and to be grounded in the word of God. And regardless of the, what the world does, the elementary truths are the most powerful truths. That God is sovereign. He's in control. He loves you. He'll take care of you. He desires to navigate, help you navigate difficult circumstances and trials. You don't need to be watching the news. You don't need to be reading all the conspiracy websites, being sort of freaking out over every little thing. God loves you. He'll take care of you. And when it's your time to go... He'll take you home. He says in verse 19, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. I like what Swindoll says. He says, as every parent knows, becoming a parent is far easier than being a parent. And so Paul is their spiritual parent. He led them to the Lord. And now that they've come to Christ, they're now departing and, and meandering away, and it's causing him so much pain. And he identifies with the parent, with the child that departs from the faith or departs from whatever. Uh, th there aren't words to describe this sort of feeling of longing for their children to get back on track. And this is what he, the, the language that he uses. I am again in labor. I've never been in labor but I've been present for a bunch of labor. And I can tell you, I had the better spot in the house not being in labor. And this is the word that he uses, labor, like that, that, that pain and agony of bringing forth a child from the womb. This is how he describes what he's feeling as he's pressing and pushing forward so that Christ would be developed within them. 
It's a beautiful phrase that should summarize our aim collectively as a church, that what we desire is that Christ would be formed in, in each one of us. He, he also says in verse 20, but I wish to be present with you now and to change my tone of voice for I'm at a loss for you. And so he recognizes that as he's writing, he has to be firm and he has to be direct. He's not only arguing with the recipients of, of the Galatians who he's trying to win back to Christ. He also understands that he's got an audience of the Judaizers that are arguing with every point that he delivers. And he says, I wish that I could be face to face with you. Over this last year, this has been an issue that we've had to grasp, grapple with as, as believers. Like, what does the Bible say? Does the Bible sort of endorse? Is it the same thing? Is it considered gathering by doing a video online? And I personally don't think it is. I think that there's, there's, there's instances, instances like this all through the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament, where the church, it's the church gathered. And we're to, we're to be together. And tone can change in person. And he says, I really wish that we could be together. And as history sort of unfolds, I believe that as Galatians comes to a close, Paul packs up. He makes his way to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 to resolve the, the issues that have been happening in the church over this very subject matter. And the first thing he does when the church in Jerusalem concludes that salvation or justification is based on Jesus' work on the cross alone, and it's made effective in an individual's life by faith. And they conclude on that. The very first thing Paul says is, we need to pack our bags and we need to get to these churches so we can share the good news is indeed the good news. And so this is my prayer for us, that until Christ is formed in us, that we would continue laboring on. This passage sort of begs the question, so what? We, we see a very emotional uh, push and plea from Paul towards these people. As I sort of, like, where, does, where, where do we get, glean application in this passage? The one command that we have in this passage is where Paul begs of them to become as he is. And so then, then that helps me sort of figure out for us, what can we glean from Paul's life and his example in this passage as individuals, as a, as a, as a congregation? The first thing I see as we read through Philippians chapter 3 in becoming like Paul, we see that Paul's life was utterly transformed by giving his life to Christ, that he exchanged everything that he had for what Jesus did for him on the cross, and he walked and lived by grace alone. And so I think there's something there for us. We see Paul's frustration with the believers in Galatia. He starts out with super harsh language towards them. He is so in their face over everything. And so the second thing I see from Paul is that he's long-suffering. He is patient with them, even though they continue to go this direction and he's hurt, he's angered. Instead of walking away, Paul digs in and he pleads for their souls and he doesn't give up. He clearly is a man that has received a ton of grace from God. And so then he shares this grace that he's received. 
He's drank from the well of grace, and he has it bubbling out in his life. And so he continues to share it. It would be so easy for him to quit and for him to walk away and to just write off these Galatian believers as a lost cause. And yet he's patient with them. I think it's beautiful. At the end of this letter, in Galatians 6, 9, Paul is going to encourage us to be like him. And he says, let us not become discouraged in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we don't become weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those who are of the household of faith. And I think the example that we see in Paul is that as we give of ourselves, it can be very difficult not to get jaded, not to become guarded, that as you give and, and people will in, in de- in, inevitably hurt you, wound you, they'll let you down, I'll let you down. Like the church is filled with sinful humans. And so we're going to fail each other. It's, it's just, it's this reality being this side of heaven. And so I think when people hurt us or fail us, there's a propensity to pull away and to give less of yourself or to, to expose less of who you are. It's super easy to say, you know what? I'm sick of being hurt and I'm going to withdraw and I'm going to pull away. And I think the example that we see from Paul is to keep giving of yourselves, to keep loving and to keep pressing forward and working and serving Christ in the process of, you know, Christ being formed in other people. And so again, that's my prayer for us. Father, I do thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your patience with us. For we know, Lord, that as the Galatians have drifted from the truth, we we each in our own lives have been off base. We've, we have missed the biblical teaching and we have wandered from the things that you have desired from us. And we thank you, God, that you are so patient with us, that you are long-suffering with us, that you continue to invest in our lives and you continue to do the work that you started in our own lives. And so we pray, God, that we would surrender ourselves to you and allow you to do the work that you desire to do. We long for the day when we will stand before you face to face, free of imperfection, free from sin, and we will be as you designed us to be. But until then, Lord, we press on. We ask that you would help us in our own lives, that you would help us as we minister and love and pour out in other people's lives, that you would help us to follow Christ's example, that you would allow us to follow Paul's example of giving himself. We thank you, Lord, that our relationship with you is not based on our own success, based on our own uh, righteousness. We thank you that it's based on the gift that you have given through Christ Jesus and his work on the cross. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.